G'day, you're listening to the Big Breakdown Podcast with Chris Stafford and Harrison Marshall. Take it away, fellas. Hello and welcome along to Season 2 of the Big Breakdown Podcast. We are in our Season Reflections, where we are looking at serial winning coaches and lessons that we can learn in the community game. Um, first of all, Harrison, uh, Merry Christmas. Hope you had a good one. Um, second of all, I owe you an apology because this was meant to be our first face-to-face recording and uh, then I only got COVID. So that, that quickly put a pie in that, didn't it? Um, but that did you have a good Christmas? <laughs> yes. Oh, well, Merry Christmas to you as well, Chris. Um, yeah, COVID Chris strikes again. I think that's what, number second time you've had it? It is the second time I've had it. Yeah, this one is, um, this time's a lot different. The, the best way I've described it to people is it's the equivalent to coming back off a four-day rugby tour. Um, you've got a really bad hangover, your body aches, and you just question some life choices. Um, other, than feel, other than that, I feel fine. Oh, good. Well, uh, good to hear that you're on the mend. Um, uh, what's, what's mad is that two years it's been going, and I've, I've luckily, I've, I've not, I've not, I've not had it. So touch wood that that remains the same. Um, but yeah, I've managed to find uh, a corner of the house somewhere where it's, it's a little bit quieter from, from, from the rest of the family, just so we can, so we can get a bit of a recording done. Um, so that's why I'm in a different location today. Well, you do, you do, you have shown us a bit around your work and your. Uh... Your, uh, your, your flat in, in Oxford, so it's good to have you back in, in God's County of Yorkshire. Um, season two. Now, I remember when I uh, mentioned the idea of serial winning coaches and the theme to you back in, I think it was May, we, we sort of had the idea about it. I actually never thought we'd get anywhere near the, one, the calibre of guest or two, the types of discussions that we've ended up having in this series. And I've, I've been really pleased with where where it's where it's gone oh what 100 percent um you know i don't think we could even I, I totally agree with you i couldn't even conceive of the magnitude of guests that would be that we'd be getting on um in in sport it's you know we're both rugby backgrounds but to have just the variety of sport come on and variety of different kind of coaching styles and 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 everything come on to this podcast this episode has has you know i think fundamentally helped me as a coach and hopefully helped out all the listeners as well yeah i mean we've recorded with what australia new zealand um wales we've, we've, been, all over. we've been all over um but I suppose it brings us back on to sort of what we're trying to do today is just chat about what lessons we can learn. Because that was the whole point of it. It was trying to... Well, a lot of people said that what they liked about season one of the pod was that we were actually talking about stuff that was relevant to the grassroots game. And a lot of it tends to focus on what the elite do and leave it at that. When actually even... We, we wanted to take that that level of it further. What can we actually learn from that? What can we take away from it? And, and, and that's what we tried to do with with each of the nine guests that, that we've had on. But I suppose first and foremost, we need to just go back to, to September with, with Sergio and and actually talk about what 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 is a serial winning coach? What does what does that mean? And actually what does that look like? Yeah. So in terms of the uh, the definition that we use for the uh, for the study, um the criteria for selection into the study were very, very stringent, really. You had to have one repeatedly at the highest level. And by the highest level, we mean Olympics, 
uh, um, and professional and, and, and top-tier professional leagues, okay? Um, and by winning, we mean winning, not, not a silver medal, not a bronze medal, okay? Not a runner-up, uh, winning the whole thing. And, and you had to have done that repeatedly over a sustained period of time, but also with different teams or different athletes. So to give you an example, um, someone that didn't qualify at the time of the study uh, would have been, you know, Rafa Nadal, the, um, the tennis player. So his coach wouldn't qualify because his coach only coached Rafa Nadal. Okay, we wanted to make sure that we were looking at coaches that were able to win with different athletes or different teams or, or in different situations, really. Um, and that's the definition, really, someone that has one of the highest yeah, levels. Absolutely. So we we build this model, really, of, of practice of the serial winning coach around three ideas. The idea of uh, vision, the idea of people, and the idea of the environment. And and kind of all around these three ideas, there's also the idea of, of the coach, of, of myself, okay, of who I am, uh, and, and my personal values, my personal beliefs around life and coaching, um, my, you know, what sometimes people call my philosophy. So people, vision, environment and philosophy, they, they were the key themes for this season. It, it kind of, um, the, they're all four key things that the grassroots coach can relate back to. And I think that's, that's three, four important themes there that Sergio identified in his study. Oh, 100%, 100%. And I think like, like we just, like, like we said throughout season one and in season two, you know, winning and success is different for every, every, every environment. So, you know, yes, we're, yes, he's in his study, he looked at, you know, serial winners, you know, the people that are at the top of their game, winning gold medals at the Olympics, winning league titles for multiple different clubs that, at, at top tier, at top tier, um, at top tier of their sport. Um, but then I think what's really important, really important, we reiterate, and we did it throughout the season, is that winning and success is different for every environment. And it goes back to understanding what we did in season one, who, what and how are the fundamentals. And then you can layer on the kind of things that we've discussed in in, in this in this series. So, um, you know, yeah, they are pivotal for every, for every coach, whether it's grassroots development elite um and i think you know it's important that we there are elements that we consider and we'll go into a little bit more depth as we as we speak over the next well i mean that's that's the key bit because like if you if it's a grassroots coach you take little bits of them things that we've just said there and what we're going to go through in the rest of this episode winning for you could just be having 35 people training on a tuesday and thursday night that's a win for me i much prefer coaching them numbers than turning up with 12 and seven because you eventually run out of things to do you want to be doing games that are you know got a bit of chaos to them that players can enjoy and plus if you've got that many people coming down it shows that you're doing something right and, and that's winning in itself like it doesn't necessarily need to translate to results or probably will transition to results on a field because you've got more people training more people are enjoying it more people are there but that comes as a byproduct of having all these other things in place I think in order to understand the other ones first, we need to go back to episode two with, with Phil Davies around philosophy and why philosophy is important. And, and just here's a clip of, of what Phil had to say. As well, and I've been involved with some interesting coaches as well. So over that period, I think what I've learned is it, it's so important to have a, a, a people-centred approach or player-centred, if you like, 
development driven and then competition ready. So you you know you you always know your players or get to know your players not just on the field but off the field and what makes them tick and know about their families and you know their work life balance if they are semi pro for example and then try to develop them put put you know good monitoring good analysis uh, good coaching practices in place so people can see that they're developing you know give them targets give them ideas of what success looks like for the team and 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 what are the key parts they play within that their key roles within that uh, and then make sure that they're ready to play in the competition that they're ready whether it's a rugby world cup or whether it's a um a premiership match or a Heineken cup match give them an understanding of what that competition is and and prepare them and get them ready for it so it's 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 people centered development driven and competition ready that's my philosophy and when i put programs together or when we put programs together the coaching staff or the key staff at uh, a club or an international team those are the three real key elements that underpin our planning uh, our, our our process and our our operation pro, operational process sorry and then our our review process Chris you know so that, that's it in a nutshell really uh, I did I did move straight away from coaching from playing into coaching and at one point realised that I um, missed the communication and management skills necessary to be a good coach so I took some years off actually coaching a team and moved into some management positions at companies to to learn that um, and I guess you know I have being lucky to have had the best uh, we all you know we all go to um, courses and we do all you know coaching courses and that sort of stuff but I really had the I was lucky enough to have really good coaches along the way that I could really pick out which areas I would take with me as a coach and uh, which areas I wouldn't uh, take and use um uh, that made me a better player back then. So I guess, you know, I, I've had some very good coaches in the past who were um, coaches of, of empathy, uh, who were coaches that taught me to be better, a better person, who coaches who were very hard, um, coaches who were very, you know, very uh, progressive in their coaching. And I was really able to pick out of each of these different coaches, uh, you know, what the best was for me as the person I am. And so when you wake up and you've got a coaching day or when you finish work and you're, you're going to your wet Wednesday night coaching, you know, you've chosen to coach. You've chosen to coach. And so there is an onus on you to some days you're going to feel great and you just go and do it. And bang, you're in your, what I would perhaps call your coach face, your coach face. Other days, it's an effort to get there. And so what I would say to coaches listening in, just as I say to players, when I work on a technique I call a game face, which is basically to throw some jargon at you is some psychological jargon at you is based on Albert Bandura's self-efficacy theory and Yuri Hans' individual learn of optimal functioning mouthful let's just call it a game face right let's call it a coach face you need a coach face now you could build a coach face in a very simple way through your memory through your imagination through your perception memory think about you at your best think about your best coach what are your best coaching moments what did that look like what did that feel like 
What did others see when you were at your best? Imagination. What did your dream coaching session look like? Feel like? What will others see when you're coaching 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10, 12 out of 10, whatever that means? Perception. Who do you want to be as a coach? How do you want to go about your business as a coach? What do you want others to see, to experience? Memory, imagination, perception. I think that was really well described by Phil there in terms of what his philosophy is and what he's learned um, over his journey so far. Yeah, and you know, I think in that episode, he really went on to elaborate the kind of experiences that he he went through as a coach in order to get there. You know, it, you know, it wasn't a an overnight thing. It wasn't a um, you know, this is my philosophy. I'm going to stick with it. And you know, and if you get a chance to go back and listen to that episode, you would really you know begin to understand that it's a continuous process. And you know, he's got to this point in which it's you know player centered, development driven, and competition ready through all the experiences that he's had by other coaches that influence him as a player, you know, other other coaches in terms of the SNC, the physios, you know, the nutritionists, uh, the video analysis, video analysis guys, you know, they've all kind of come in together and helped shape and uh, and evolve his philosophy throughout his coaching journey. And I think that was, I, I, I love that episode of Phil right at the start because I think that really kind of set up uh, set up the series in terms of where we wanted to go as um, as, as two as two coaches ourselves and, and podcast hosts. Well, I, as well, and I think what Phil really uh, articulated well was how he then used his philosophy when he went into somewhere like Namibia in terms of trying to drive their level of high performance up. So he didn't just go in and immediately throw his philosophy in and that's what they were doing he, he tried to get uh, did it with a conference he tried to gauge their level of what they saw high performance as to then what his is and then try and find a meeting point sort of in the middle within that and shows that his, his philosophy had that flexibility in terms of because it's so focused around people like you said development and then competition ready it allows him to mould himself into the environment that he's in um, which I think is it allows him to reflect that a little bit more, which I think is an important part of your philosophy. You've got to be able to reflect. Yeah, and I think you know, and that's that's so useful for coaches at all all aspects of of, of their sport. You know, uh, that that reflection and understanding how you want to coach as 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 an individual coach, and actually learning and and, and sharing and and speaking with other coaches is is absolutely massive. And you go back to that that reflection point, and I think. You know that that little clip of Alison and Anne in the middle there summarised that as well. You know, first of all, her bravery to come on to uh, you know a podcast and say you know when she first went to coaching, she felt that her communication skills weren't quite weren't quite up for up for the standard of what she thought of herself as a coach. Now then, she went away into into business, into management, and she learned her skills elsewhere. So once again, you know that's that's a coach, that's a, a, an elite level coach that's going right. I've got a weakness here. I'm going to go and speak to someone. I'm going to try something new, and and hopefully I can come back. And obviously, it's it's turned out to be a success. Or you, or you wouldn't be winning an Olympic gold medal in 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 2021, would you? Exactly, exactly. But I mean that the the whole idea of philosophy and reflection. I think they do go hand in hand because philosophy isn't just a, a linear journey, is it? it? I think Phil articulated it. You go in multiple different ways. Alison described actually. It's not A to B. It's A with a diversion to see and round the round the houses it, it, there isn't 
that straight level line. You need to have an idea where you're going, but be willing to adapt to go around it. And what I really liked when in Dan's episode was that notion of that that coach face. But you can actually use that notion of a coach face to bring your philosophy to life. Yeah. Oh, and I, yeah, I think you know, both of, both you and I have um, spoken about this several times since that since that chat with Dan. Um, that Dan blew my mind. In all fairness, like <laughs> it literally fried my head. I uh, just just uh, such he just engaged well. He, he, he with, the, with the way he talked, the way he described his things. I was just like, well, I need to write this down. <laughs> you know what I mean. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And um, yeah, like you said, that 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 coach face stuck stuck with both you and I. Um, so you know, both massively. And I think it it, it would, it, and I think it has with a lot of the listeners and and a lot of other people. And if you listen to it now, you know, once again, go back and listen to to, to Danny Ram's episode, episode eight, um, because you know he's talking about understanding ourselves. And and he said, you know, basically, it's all right for us to feel crap. For us as coaches, it's, it's all right for us, to, you know, to have have an off day. You know, we might be. You, know, you, you talked about it on a on a wet Tuesday night, and you get thirty players. You know, if you're lucky to get thirty players, but you've had an absolute crap day at work. You know, you had your ear chewed off once you got back in the house. You know, but we've got a as coaches our responsibility to make sure that the players are, you know, they're engaging. They're participating. They're enjoying it. And are they going to enjoy it if we're stood there look like we're chewing a wasp? No. So we've got to make sure that we've got our coach face on, similar to similar to players when they go and play and they have a game face. We have our coach face on, and, and I loved his example of for him it was Jurgen Klopp, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Energetic Jurgen Klopp, and and you know those kind of key messages that went around in his head. Uh, yeah, and and uh, you know, and I've, and I've used it, uh, uh, and I'm not ashamed to say that I've used it because it's it's helped me no ends. Agreed, agreed. It just gets you to because uh, because the look of it is, is you know your dream where you see yourself going. You you automatically give yourself. It's weird. You do. You just give yourself this boost. Is this is. It, it, yeah, it is. It's 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 really one of the most useful techniques I've been given in the last few years. You can give all me all the science, all the literature that I've read. That, that's probably been one of the, the biggest help, helps recently. But I think that brings us back around to the start of what Phil's bit was was around people first, and people's been a massive feature of every episode. I think. Yeah. Oh, and. 100% and not just in season two in season one as well you know I think you know when we when we first set out doing the podcast you know nearly a year ago now last um back back in February you know when we broke it down into you know how we understand coaching and understanding who what and how understanding who has appeared in absolutely every single episode I think we that we've done um and it is such you know a, a pivotal part of coaching and it underpins everything that you know, if you don't understand who, you, who you're coaching, who you're working with, how on earth can you get the best out of them? And I think we've got um, we've got a, a good number of clips here um, throughout season two to really emphasise the importance of understanding your who. Again, it's the awareness. Once you've got your shit sorted out, what's the awareness of them? Hey, what are you doing for a job? Or how are your studies going? Or, you know, it might be 15-year-olds. Oh, tell me about your school. What are, your, what are your, some of the other interests? What other sports do you play? Now, they don't have to be done in a formal way. I'd challenge every coach that if you couldn't, in the space of 10 minutes, have a 60-second conversation with 10 people, 
and just wander around the changing rooms, pat on the back. Hey, how did school go today? What did you study? How did um, oh? Now you you love riding your BMX bike. Tell me, how's that going? Um, when you start with you with your players or or, or your, your your athletes, you're the light that's lighting the path because they don't know where they're going. You've got to give them a set of direction. It's far more directive and instructive at that point, right? Once once you've got that in motion, the next level is um, you've got to give them the light so that they see where they're going. The next level after that is you've got to learn how to be the mirror that reflects their light even stronger. And finally, you've got to step out the light because you're making shadows. So I think and I think you 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 have to be willing to go on that journey and to spot to be able to understand when there is a next stage but that doesn't stop you given this or that situation to go back to directive if you're needing action very often you have to be directive if you're needing thinking you for sure you're stepping back and giving them time and silence to think and to and to work it out so you, and and you these these are I mean, what's one of the greatest gifts you must have as a coach is judgment. You've got to be, you've got to, be to, to apply judgment to situations in front of you. I use an analogy here in New Zealand. I, I talk to coaches and I have a couple of slides and one I've got some mushrooms and the other one I've got a silver fern glistening in the sun. And I say, hey, do we treat our athletes like mushrooms, keep them in the dark and feed them bullshit? Or do we treat them like silver ferns where we water them and allow the sunlight to get on them? Uh, and how do you coach? And you know, for too long, I was uh, hey, I grew up in the I was I grew up in the sixties, seventies, eighties. I was coached by some interesting people in rugby, a prominent rugby, where you get this, and you had no idea what practice was going to look like. You were kept in the dark and fed bullshit. You read about whether you got picked or dropped in the newspaper. You never got a phone call. I mean, it was yeah, it was pretty. <laughs> And some of that still exists. So, you know, that's my analogy, I guess. Grassroots, no different. Find out. Treat these young people like silver ferns or – and I know you have ferns in England. I know that. <laughs> you know, shed some light on them and feed them, nurture them, give them water, show interest. Yeah. You look at personalities and how you put teams together. You know, do we want an entire team of sheep? You're not going to win with an entire team of sheep. Do you want an entire team of micromanagers or leaders? You can't. Do you want an entire team of introverts? You can't. But what one of the most wonderful things are is is if you put introverts in a rugby team and give them a sense of identity and give them a voice, introverts become some of the most amazing leaders. I mean, look at a Johnny Wilkinson. You know, one of the players that overthought every single detail of his game and you know has left you know highly identifiable scars mentally and he's now reprocessing it but yet in that pressure cooker i mean go to his state on um go go to his um to lose speech you know one of the most inspirational moments as a leader and and yet totally introverted Put him in a, drop him into a public, you know, arena, and he'll go right to the wall. And that's that's one of the most, you know, it's one of the most complex things about being a coach, is you've got to read your players. 
Um, I remember the first time I started coaching Islander boys. I couldn't believe how things that I take incredibly seriously, you know, if I was giving them a spray about missing an attacking opportunity, they would think it's funny because when when they get when you yell at them, sometimes they just think it's funny. And yet things that I take incredibly lightheartedly, they take incredibly seriously. I remember I um I used to have like a or like a, a really neat fade, right? And one of the boys got a I think and he'd obviously asked for it too short. And you know, it was kind of that past the point where it almost gets to like a top knot. And I was like, Lick, I was like, Lecky, that you got butchered, my man. And he he just face dropped and went off and he was bawling his eyes. He came back the next day um, and cut it all off. And, and, what, and I, I, I sort of thought, oh, my God. And what I didn't realise is that, you know, he was really self-conscious about him and, his, and, 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 and he didn't feel emotionally strong within that structure where someone could give him a bit of a jab. And I thought, you know, wow, hang on a sec, I've got to rethink this. How do I... How do I soften? How do I bring this guy into it so he's comfortable in that situation? So it is. It's the most com- like it's why I love coaching because it's so complex, and yet you have to be able to simplify things. Well, certainly, plenty of interesting, um, interesting comments, ob- observations there from from when talking about people. Um, you know, I think you know that's just that's just a, that's just a few of them. I think looking back at the series, we can get bits from absolutely every single episode, um, but then. Know, we want you to go back and listen to them. So, <laughs> I think, yeah, and I think from a grassroots perspective, people as well as the elite one, it's the bit that we get so worked up on the tech, the tack, the league positions. When actually, the they, the reality is, it don't they 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 don't mean anything. It's the people that are the club that make that sports club. Whether you're rugby, whether you're football, whether you're cricket, it's the people there. They keep it afloat. They're the ones that put the money behind the bar. They're the ones that turn up and, and keep it going. So they have to be in the centre of everything in order to keep the club going. Otherwise, the, the club's just not going to be there anymore. Exactly. And that's why it's got to be a priority. Oh, uh, definitely, definitely. I couldn't agree. Couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with you more, Chris. And that's not a phrase you'll hear me say too often. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you know. To summarise that, the first clip there from um, from Rich um, from Rich there was, was was spot on. You know, can we? Can it? You know, we go back to we just want our philosophy, but can we? Once once us, us as coaches get us shit in order, um, to put it politely, um, you know, then can we look to have that awareness of, of, of the people that we're dealing with? And I love the challenge, and I, and I apply it to my coaching. Once again, I've, it's something I apply as well now, and I apply it to my coaching now. I'll spend 10 minutes before every session, and I'll uh, try and have a conversation with at least six different people. Ideally, 10. Like he says, 10 more-minute conversations, but at least six, because it's sometimes they overrun, because you get caught up in the – well, for me, you get caught up in the, the gossip of what goes on in school. <laughs> Um, and, and in fairness, with the programs that we're both working in, it, it, the numbers are, you know, like we, we're, the 60 lads rock up to train on a Monday night, uh, just get around 10 of them is sometimes hard because there's just that many bodies, bodies there. But it, you're right, it's that little few minutes of the time that's chatting, how's your study going? How are you finding X, Y, Z? It, it just you just get to know them a little bit better and when you get to know what makes them tick that actually brings the rugby to life that little bit more oh 
definitely, uh, definitely not not just not just rugby, Chris. Um, I was going from our own perspective, but whichever sport you're, uh, if you're just an individual athlete that's doing, you know, javelin. You can spend as many ten-minute conversations as you want. <laughs> Definitely, but you know, it goes back to that message. You know, understand those, understand the participants. You know, understand your athletes. You know, empower them, listen to them. All of a sudden, they, their engagement increases. You know, their willingness to work for you increases. You know, you know, their willingness to enjoy the environment. You know, get to know you as a as a coach as well, and you know, and you share those vulnerabilities with them. You know, that creates that creates that bond, and that links quite nicely into what Frank discussed within that. You know, for us as, as coaches, it's it's our job to empower them, give them the information for them to start using it back to us, as, reflect back to us as, as as if we're the mirror before we then step out of the light and 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 allow them to allow them to shine. And I think you know. What was quite interesting in terms of you know, that conversation we did have with Frank, um, you know, you know he, he challenged us a little bit to think about, you know, what do we get like to get out of coaching? And both of us said the interpersonal skill, the interpersonal elements of speaking with people and the fact that we're still, you know, we still chat with people that have long gone out of the programme because, you know, both, of, both you and I like and enjoy that interpersonal part of what sport is. Yeah, and I, and I think it all—I think it was fundamentally reinforced with, with what Jack said in his clip because we're not all perfect. You, you can get to know as many players as you want, but then you can make that comment that you think might be quite funny that actually can have quite a, an, an impact on someone in a different way. And 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 that is the that is also another emphasis of why we need to have these conversations outside of the spot with our players to know what makes them tick or what's gonna get them upset because that was a real learning moment for Jack and he had to go away and do some reflection on that around how he how he spoke or some of the humour that he used that you know he might be able to get away with with nine out of ten players but it's just that one that that ended up going and changing his whole haircut because of it yeah but I think that also what's quite interesting about that as well though Chris um, is that it shows that we're dealing with human beings and you and I both know from our own personal experiences as well as players that we've coached that <laughs> humans are complex are complex beings you know and and we're never and we're never perfect you know and we, we will make mistakes whether that be you know a, a joke that goes a, a tad too far but as long as you know like with Jack's example and like we said here as long as there's good intentions behind it and you already built up that rapport with your player and then you reflect and, and we can you can get over those kind of things that, that only strengthens that bond then yes you know Jack was incredibly brave and honest to come and share that experience with us but you know I think it, it, it it's an eye opener that you know we're allowed to we're, we're allowed to cock up we're allowed to make mistakes but it's what we do to reflect and change and make sure those mistakes don't happen again. Yeah, I think I think the, the, the key message was from Richard was just get your shit in order. <laughs> Once you put your shit in order, everything else will come together. And and I think that brings us on to the next bit around um, around vision. Because once you've got your shit together, that's when you can start focusing on the vision. So here's some uh, some key clips from people articulating of uh, how vision has influenced their program. Understanding what it is they're trying to achieve, what they want out of it but also then understanding the context in which you're working. Then that begins, as you say that, you begin to then say, well, what is it I am I am either able to or want to do in that context? 
so that you then start thinking in terms of that sets the limits of your expectations. Now, that's not me saying don't have higher expectations, don't constantly aim to be the best. Everybody should be aiming to, to, you know, to do as well as they can and to be the best. But there will be some situations in which, for example, if, if I, I give this example of, uh, from my own experience, if you're working twice a week on a, in a team context and individuals may be working on their own doing physical stuff um, or other stuff as well, but, but largely the team would be coming together on a couple of occasions a week, that does limit what you might achieve over a long period of time. Um, that, that's very different from those who are working twice a day on a full-time basis or three times a day on a full-time basis. Look at all those different things. What were the standards of um, some of the top tier two teams between number 15 and number 20 in the world? Because in the mid we were number 24 when we started. So we, we, we started to look then at performance metrics of how teams what teams looked like and where we actually were and where the gaps were. So we created a gap analysis and then we used a traffic light system over four years to close the gaps. So we went from red players to amber players, amber players to uh, green players. So green players were 80% towards the target, amber were 50 plus percent and red were under 50%. And then we looked at performance metrics of uh, high-speed meters, strength in the gym, power. Then we looked at tackle technique. We looked at basic skills. We looked at um, ability to keep the ball, you know. All that sort of stuff became our sort of strategic and operational plan uh, and our hearts and minds plan in order to move forward to get be competitive in in, in the World Cup, autocratic in the beginning, but then as we move forward, it became more, demogra- uh, more democratic, if you, if you, if you like. And uh, yeah, and um, we, you know, I loved it in the end, mate. I loved the players. I got to know their families, and it was just amazing. But you have to have sometimes when you go into a sort of a moving feast, or you go into a lot of grey, you've got to create that that black and white in the first instance and move forward, and then. You know, you build from there. In March of 2013. And through, we had a trials in April for the World Championships that year that were in Barcelona in July of 2013. So that first few months, there was no changes. It was getting out to performance centres, getting on deck with coaches and athletes, visiting, watching, looking who was there, looking who we needed to work with, why we needed to work with them. And then through the World Championships, when we were ready for that September, was to then make some fairly critical decisions in the September of 2013 that we would then implement across the whole programme. And things like contract times came in board after that first year. So we had an opportunity to try and talk to people, educate um tell them how it was going to work before we actually did it. And that's got to be, that's kind of more of an ongoing process to, you have to continue to do that uh, while refining what you do. Because if we just continue to do what we did in 2013, we'll get behind as well. 
So it's a matter of always looking for how that's going to evolve into the future. But the key learning I found with Vision was that it goes back to what we spoke about a lot in season one and referenced quite heavily in, in two around what works for whom, what circumstance and why. Your vision needs to be relevant to the environment that you're going to be working in. Um, and, you know, there's some really powerful points there from, from Phil, John and John uh, around that. You know, John Lyle spoke about understanding your domain and where you are and what you're working in. Um, but then Phil talked about how, you know, com- you can compare yourself to the top, but what can we, what can we learn from them to do with us? And I think that's probably a key thing that, you know, a lot of grassroots... <laughs> the magpies that see what's going on in the elite game, how do we take that and use that to us all? What do we take from them and apply with us? And I, I think that was quite a powerful thing from from Phil. Yes. Oh, um, I think one massive shout from me, um, from Phil there was, you know, he said when he went into Namibia, he didn't, you know, he felt that, you know, he could be quite um, autocratic at the start. Um, you know, which probably you know, might go against his his original player centred approach. However, you know what he's finding when he goes in there is that there's the idea between what high performance was that Namibia thought and what where where Field worked at. Where there was a big disparity there. So he's actually gone in. You know, and you, once again, if you, once you, if you go back and listen to the episode, you know, he just talks about you know because he understands their culture. He's gone in there. He's spoken to what they want to get out of it. What what they what what they perceive high performance is. You know, and and he you know and you you have to and, he, and he's talked about having to bring you know players up to up to that level. And so once again, he's gone in. He's, he's understood his environment. He's understood what, what's required of him, and he's adjusted his philosophy to in, to create this vision in which he begins to be quite autocratic. But then, you know, he comes in with that green um, that traffic light system, you know, which which goes into that player centered development um, uh, development driven and uh, you know competition ready approach because he's allowing these players to progress into the red from from red to amber from amber to green. So when they do go to when they did go to the World Cup in 2015 and 2019, you know they they, they did well. Yeah, and sometimes it does need it. Like, I mean, I referenced in um, in Richard's episode around how Vern Cotter, when he was when in Scotland, did a similar approach. He came in and was very autocratic, dictated where they needed to be and how they were going to get there. But by year three, he'd be able to give more ownership to the players, and that would then drive the vision of how they wanted to play and where they wanted to go. But it, and that's kind of a, a different approach to what, how John Atkinson found it because he wanted to listen and observe, then act upon what he'd seen. He wanted to learn about the program and then make the changes that needed to in order to progress Canada on from from where they were. And I, and I think that is the important thing with vision. You need to be able to walk in confidently in knowing what your own skills are to the environment that, you, that you've got there and try and work out what's going to be best to make that successful just because it works somewhere else doesn't mean it's going to work in the new one and I think that's got to be clear with your vision it needs to be appropriate for where you're going into next and I think Phil touched on it with it where if you if they're not aligned if your vision is not aligned to what you want to get out of it then don't do it oh yeah definitely I think you know what you know, what you found with them um... You know, with John Atkinson, in his example, is that you know the year that he went in, 
who I think by all accounts he didn't do very much with the World Championships over that, that year because he started and it goes back to a phrase that we've used before and we've heard lots of times as coaches he started with that end in mind and his end for that vision and that cycle was Tokyo 2020 2021 um, you know so he's, he's like that first year I'm literally going to observe I'm going to see what I've got here to offer I can I see what's on offer and then I'll start to, to begin to work and make those key decisions after those world championships just so I then you know so he knows how the system works over there and once you know how the system works you know which changes you can bring in but you know if we were to apply this to the grassroots game it goes it goes it goes straight back to what John Lyle was saying you have to understand the domain that you're in now we can sit here and we can talk about the Olympics we can talk about you know Phil working with um, Namibia going to a World Cup but how does that affect someone on a Tuesday night? Well, you know, if you don't understand that you're just coaching under eights on a Sunday morning, but in rugby perspective, you know, they don't need the vision of of what you're going to do in four years' time to get them through a World Cup because they're only going to be 12. <laughs> but you've got to have the vision and understanding that in 12 years' time, in, in, in four years' time when they are 12, do they have those fundamental movement skills that we touched on in, in uh, Season 1, Episode 2 with... Um, with Christian Sharples. Well, that goes back to if you are looking at this from a grassroots perspective, then it's it's everything we spoke about with Steve around building that curriculum or a syllabus is your your vision should be, well, actually, can I predict where the game's going to be going in terms of its development? How can I predict what my players need? How can I... That should be my vision. If, if that's the level that I'm working to, it, it's not... You know, I think it is different across other sports because some sports have for some bizarre reason, leagues and competitive leagues at <clears throat> certain age groups. And rugby, it doesn't, the leagues don't start till 17, 18. So it's a bit easier for you to get away with that because you've not got that pressure. But Stuart touched on that, that the grassroots coach has the hardest job on the touchline on a Sunday because every parent's telling you that they can probably do it better. But if you, like Richard said, have got your shit in order and you've got your vision that is then articulated to everybody that's there and everyone knows the direction that this bus is going to go on, it's a lot easier to get that buy-in to then transition in what, what you're going to be doing next and people more accept the potential changes or direction that you're doing. I think that's key. It's communicating why you're doing what you're doing, how you're going to do it, and then going out and delivering it. Oh, exactly. And, it's, and you know, it goes back, to, once again, it goes back to what we've kind of discussed before, but that's not just managing down to potentially players and their parents. It's also managing up to... You know, to maybe committee members or board members, depending on how high you are, you know, that everyone is on board with the vision and, you know, the vision of what you're trying to create at, at that club. And, you know, I think that links, you know, quite nicely into, you know, our, the kind of last component of how do we create that environment? And, you know, here's, here's, here's a good number of clips once again, just to summarise, you know, what the key, me- key messages, key takeaways from, from environment in, in, in and throughout season. One of my key messages is that there are very different domains uh, that coaches operate in. So if you're operating in the high performance, let's just call it performance, but if you're operating in performance to high performance domains where the expectations are higher, um, you're working with individuals who are already committed to the process. And the commitment to the process means that they will they can be more intensively engaged and they will engage with the environment that you produce. So if you have high expectations um, and high demands in that environment, 
you're working with those who are already committed and see some reward at the end of it. Before you get to that stage, if you're working with with um, in a what I would call a more participation, children's often usually children, but but you can be adults as well. Um, the, the level of reward there is more immediate. The level of reward is that I need to be able to enjoy myself because if I don't enjoy myself, I'm not coming back. The coach has to work harder to create a, 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 an environment in which there is greater variety, there's greater immediate success, that, that individuals can feel engaged. He's in coaching. When we coach, it's really narrowed down to three P's, participation, progression, and performance. Participation, progression, and performance. So by participation, I'm talking about the engagement piece. We've got to help players engage in our activities, in every activity in our sessions, in every session, every week, every month, every season, and hopefully for a lifetime. Maybe, maybe. And then we've got the second P, progression. Most coaches, if not if not all, are probably invested in learning and growing, helping their people, their players to learn, and helping their people, their players to grow. Certainly the learning, whether a coach under six, sevens, and eights is helping children to, to learn might be, some will say, no, free play, free play, free play. But then that's their prerogative. And others will say, well, yeah, I want to help introduce some fundamentals if I can use that word in the game. And that's that's a debate that goes on out there. But the vast majority of coaches are invested in helping people to, to learn and maybe to grow, to grow as people as well. You know, people coach because they tend to like people or be invested in people and so helping somebody grow as a person is a big part of it so that progression piece so participation is engagement progression is to to learn and to grow and then performance performance for me is the competing side of things and again we can go back to well maybe we don't want a 10 year old to worry too much about performance and again there's big debates there but certainly at certain levels Competing, competing is a skill. So we want to help our people, our players, to be able to compete, to be able to perform. The ownership of what we do. So you know, they're they're, they're owners of our progress. They're owners of our success. Um, I think the key thing is not to change too much. You know, we've had the same principles for four and a half years. We haven't changed our principles. We haven't changed the way we approach the game. We haven't changed the way we um, we play the game. We've added small things, you know, we've, uh, you know, the, we brought in the Ringelmann effect a few years ago and the Ringelmann effect. I don't know if you guys know that is it's a, it's a, if you have two people that play tug of war against each other, you'll do, you know, both of you will have a hundred percent effort, but every time someone gets added to your team, you just give that little bit less effort. Uh, and we talked about, okay, well, if that means that it'll be 60% effort against 60% effort, no, that might be difficult. But if we continually uh, play at an effort of being on my own at 100%, we'll always have a 40% benefit from our team, uh, the, the opposition, without doing more. 
So it's all about getting the very best out of every single player. That's that's what your job is, not to create new things, not to keep adding new things, uh, to keep the as simple as possible, but to be able to get every single time you're on the field, you're together to get the best out of every single player. That's your job. And um, I, th- I think most people would be surprised when I don't, you know, I don't complicate things. Simple is as simple is difficult enough. Simple, you know, <laughs> driving from A to B is is difficult enough because you have people unexpectedly walking in front of the car and the sun the sun's shining in your eyes. It might be raining. That you know the babies might be crying in the back of the car. There are all these different things, but you still have to drive from A to B. And if I change the the way you drive and tell you have to drive with your left hand and the, your, your right hand or you add all these different things to just the simple getting in the car and driving from A to B, that's difficult. So why do we change all those elements of the basic elements of playing the game? Because there's already external things that will influence your uh, your way of playing. So we focus on very simple things. Uh, we focus on doing them very well. And all of the unexpected things that happen come in our way, we learn to deal with. Is this whole notion of what I call disruption. You've got to be able to disrupt your thinking. So, for, for example, and companies like Google, Microsoft, uh, Lego, these guys, they're well, well on top of this. And I'd like you to think of it like Newton's cradle. Right, you know Newton's cradle, the five balls that are suspended? You take one off one end, and you call that disruption, right? What is disruption? Well, you, you, we, we, we have a, 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 a meeting like we're having right now with our own, te- with our, our own uh, top coaches for the club or for the nation, and we say, okay, um, forget what we're doing, the, how we're working and what we're doing at the moment. What could we do, right? What, what if? Why not? What are the possibilities with the skills and the bits and pieces of resources we have to do something completely differently? And so we disrupt, right? And as you disrupt, you you go from, I think Google called it a green scene to a red scene. And the red scene is, what will you do? With, with, all, with all that the stuff that you just talked about, what will you do? Uh, what will we be? What will we become? And you then commit to that. So... You disrupt the ball off there, you let it go, comes back, hits the first ball, and you dream. That that transfers into the, the, the third ball, and you dis, you, you 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 design. Right? Sorry, sorry. It comes in, you start off disrupting, you then I usually, I usually got my diagram in front of me here. You start off disrupting, you dream, you decide, you design. And the ball that flies off the other end is you deliver. But bear in mind that ball's going to come back again. So you don't do, do this just once. You're doing this okay, randomly, if you like, but certainly two or three times in a year. And there we have it, the key takeaways from season two of, of the environment. Um, I think the one that stood out for me on, on that last clip there was probably Frank on that last clip. Um, you know, he really begins to bring vision. And, and the environment together there, Chris. Oh, definitely, and and they are aligned because the the environment is what's going to help bring your your vision to life. You can get that environment right, and you know Frank Frank articulated that really simplistically, as did did Dan, and I think Dan with his three Ps kind of just give you a a, a foundation for how you can set up um, all of your practice really.
Yeah. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And you know, I think um, yeah, I like that idea of, of of what you know of what Google used um, of that nuisance cradle of you know of the four of the four balls that are, that are swinging. You know, you're looking at a disruption. You know, what's disruption in the session? Can we dream? Then can we? Then can we? Uh, you know, deliver and and watch it and watch it and watch it come back. Um, you know, I think that's you know, that, that sums it up perfectly in terms of in terms of linking um, of linking the two together. Um, but know, I think you know some of it as well comes down to what 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 Alison kind of discussed in her <coughs> her episode was that you know they they've had the same real process of doing things for the last four and a half years, still win still winning gold medals. But it's the intensity that they bring to the session and the simplicity of how they've broken down the game that allows them to train at an intensity level that brings them success, that everyone comes up to their sessions focused to just train as hard as they can at game intensity to get the best out of it. And that then connects back around to people of how Alison's got the people well aligned to how they want to play and what they want to do that they can just train at real intensity to then bring the rest of it together because what she said was they're not they're not they're not it's not really difficult it's a simple way to try and play hockey was around the speed of how they want to do everything and can they be quicker than everybody else and and i think that's key for that if you want a, a successful environment is train how you want to play Oh, spot on, uh, spot on, and I think but ignore the rest of the bits I just said. Just leave that bit in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone's playing it there. But then it also goes back to the environment she's created. So she's very much in empowering her players. You know, there's no curfews. There's no, you know, there's no rules. There's no rules to it. That you know, that it's very much developed. It's very much driven from the players, and she's empowered those players to to want to come to the sessions. That you know, first of all, they're representing the countries because of course they're wanting to go, but you know that want and willingness to push each other on, you know, within within those sessions. Um, John, John, John said that they don't have to be in the stands cheering people on if they've got other stuff that's going to help them prepare to get the best out of their swim. That's still linked to the high performance environment that swimming Canada have, and that's the same thing. It's not just on field; it's the off field stuff as well. Oh, on. exactly. But on, pool, on pool, I don't know what the difference will be there. <laughs> Uh, in the pool, out the pool, yeah, yeah. But it's it's yeah, they're they're the environments in which you know I think first of all the athletes are more likely to buy into it because of, you know, they, you know, there's that yes it's, it's it's competitive but you know that empowerment of self you know we as human beings we don't like being told that we have to do something you know we like you know we're, we're in this we're, we're playing you know I. For example, she's got athletes to play hockey because they love the sport and they're good at it. So you know, of course, when they go and play and represent their country, they go, they go, you know, there's an expectation, and then that's what Alison has driven at home with her environment. That there's a expectation that you have to that you have to you have to train that intensity, and that's you know that's what that's what's so great about it. And once again, similar to similar to vision, you know, it goes back to that first skip with John Lyle. You've got to understand. You've got to understand who you're coaching and the environment that you're in, because we can be in a domain that it's got no relevance. We don't, you know. You, what's the point in you know, a Sunday league football coach imprinting curfews on their players the night before when it's just Sunday league football? You know, those players are not going to buy into what that what that coach wants. 
they all want to go. They all they all want to go out of the piss upon a Saturday night. You know why? You know that's a, you know the environment and the demand that you're in very much you know filters into into the vision, the kind of the people that you're working with, and then uh, you know, the philosophy of, of how you are as a coach. I've seen so many rugby coaches that have come into a season and said, right, no train, no player policy. And it lasts to probably game one because then they realise that they've not got players to pick from. You've got all that flexibility in the grassroots game. You can't just rock up and say, no train, no play. Because, again, it goes back to the, the players there for the club. There's, there's valid reasons why some people can't train. There's, they've got job commitments, other things come in life gets in the way sometimes and that especially now post-COVID I think that's something that a lot of coaches within the community game are juggling is people being regularly available but you know if you get that training environment right on and off field you're communicating with your players about well why aren't you training what is the reason behind it could it be something that you know you might be able to help with from your experiences and if they bought into the vision you're going to you know you might get that change in turnaround of, of more players turning up, more people wanting to put that effort in. And and that could be the simple fix of how to re-engage players. And, and I think there's, there's so many more clips that we could have put in for environment, as with people, that, that coaches could have taken things away to apply in their environments. And that, that's what's been, I think, really special about this season is every episode there's been a little bit of people vision environment, even though they've been specifically focused on one of the elements, there's been a little bit of a sprinkling of all of them in each. Yeah. And that's why I have absolutely loved um, recording this season um, because I think it's helped my development personally as a coach on a, on a selfish note. I think it will help so many coaches that, that, that are listening. Um, I think it's, you know, it's just been great. First of all, go back to what we said at the start of this episode. It's just been great to have the caliber of guests on that coming on and being brave and sharing their stories um, and sharing what they've learned and the mistakes that they've made and, and, and where they've got to where they've got to. Um, but like you just said there, there's nuggets of gold in absolutely every single episode. And I and I implore anyone who's listening now to go back and give give you know, this season a uh, a listen if you haven't to if you haven't picked up some of the episodes already because you trust me you will learn something and I, I think the, the key thing is, is like we, we talk about the elite being all the way up here when actually what, what they're doing isn't rocket science it's not you don't need to be working with elite players to do it the only thing that they get more than your grassroots coach is time and they are usually traditionally the better players that have just come through the system beforehand that is the only difference for, for me it's it, it comes down to them two key features you can still implement a professional environment with a small p you can still have it as professional. It just doesn't have to be full-time professional. It's just something that people buy into. It's a direction. It's a it's a mindset of how you're going to achieve. What You determine what success is going to look like in your environment and roll with that and sprinkle a little bit of what we've learned this season to that and you can you can achieve that quite easily. But it's not, it's not rocket science at all. Basically look after your people and don't be a dickhead know where you want to go and how you're going to get there and uh, create high quality training environments and there's and there's the tagline yeah there's season two don't be a dick (laughs) Uh, yeah and in in layman's terms you're not far wrong there Chris you're not far wrong I've got to I've got to I've got to bring it down to my level somehow (laughs) 
yeah, no, spot on. I think you've um, you, you hit the nail on the head. Hit the nail on the head there. There we have it. Season two done. Uh, we'll be back in a very short break. We'll be back in February with uh, with season three. Uh, so look out for our preview season on that um, later in the new year. Hope you've had a good Christmas. Hope you have a cracking new year. And we'll see you in 2022. Harrison, enjoy your new year. And you, Chris. Thank you very much. And we will see you next time. Cheers for listening. Don't forget to join in the discussion at Big Breakdown HQ on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Thank you.